Okay, um, welcome, and um, today I'm joined by uh, Peter Strokorb, who is CEO of Peter Strokorb Consulting International. Now that's interesting, international. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Darren. Glad Does that mean you've just flown in from some exotic location? Well, uh, not just flown in, but uh, in May I was um, privileged enough to speak at the uh, Sales 2.0 conference in San Francisco. Okay. And I, I had to add the international because otherwise the Americans might not believe me. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you're not uh, based in America, then you must be international. Well, well, yeah. No, if you're based in America, you must be international. If you're not based in America, then of course you're not relevant to them. Oh, of course, yes. I've, I've struck that many times. But uh, I, I'm glad that you're not uh, like Austin Powers, you're certainly not the international man of mystery. <laughs> um, look, Peter, the reason for wanting to catch up and have a chat is because uh, I've uh, been following and, and obviously read quite a lot of what you've been sharing on social media and to the industry around the concept of sales and marketing being one team. And um, what I, uh, where I'd like to start is really from your perspective, what are the specific roles of sales and marketing in their own right, and what is the overall role okay, of well, the two together? Well, the, let's start with the last part first. The overall role is, of course, to drive the business forward, to get revenue in, and to make a, to, to have a business. The um, the role of, of marketing in that is is far broader than the role of sales. Um, but the way I like to describe it is that. Marketing creates an environment where sales can occur. Yeah, good point. And and that basically means to have a brand and to have the brand recognized and to have um, thought leadership attributed to the brand and to basically create awareness in the marketplace that we exist and uh, why people should uh, check out our wares. Sales, on the other hand, is, uh, is more interested in, in moving as quickly as possible to the pointy end of the sale, namely the transaction. Closing the deal. Closing the deal. And... Uh, um, I, I like to describe the, the, the sales function versus the marketing function as a sort of upside-down pyramid whereby the, the marketing team does the broader perspective in terms of the thought, uh, thought leadership and, the, and the, um, the brand and so on as I described. And then sales tries to drive it to the pointy end where the transaction occurs. And, okay. and there's, there's probably a bit of an overlap in between, um, but uh, the, the two have really fundamentally different outlooks on life. So it's, you know, that's a good point in that marketing sets up the start and, and casts the net broad and sales is about the conversion, you know, building that, building that relationship and exactly. getting the deal. Right. So why do you think people call it sales and marketing when chronologically the process seems to be marketing and sales? Well, let's look at what people call it sales and marketing. It's, it's predominantly salespeople. They call it sales and marketing. <laughs> <laughs> and true. That is very true. Yeah. It's interesting as well from a CEO perspective. You'll find a lot of CEOs will focus on sales and see marketing as sort of more ethereal, what do they call it, the colouring in department. Yeah, or the, the, the brochure people or the, yeah. the event people, and I've heard that too. So let's, I think you have to consider how CEOs are rewarded and, uh, and remunerated. And it's usually around uh, the hard coin, the dollar that comes in, yeah. not around brand and not around thought leadership. They're remunerated on what, how much money have you made the shareholders. Yeah, so they're more focused on that pointy end where the sales people Well, are. that's how they're measured. So yeah. that's, that's why they're, they're, they're focused that way. And, and let's also be clear that there's a, there are not a lot of marketers who make it to CEO level. Mm. Right. Um, whereas there's quite a few sales-led um, people that make it to CEO level. 
because traditionally they've been very focused on results, haven't they? Right. Salespeople are always measured on the actual hard sales results. Yeah, you look at the, uh, the quarterly um, uh, share market reviews and there's not much about marketing. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> no. And that's a real pity as well because, you know, from the way you describe it and, and from my own perspective, I, I remember actually attending one of your... Um, your uh, CEO breakfast, mm. uh, you know, when you went round the table and the question, quite a simple but complex question, which was how well does marketing and sales work in your organisation? Uh, a lot of people really cha were challenged with that. Is that your general uh, experience of the marketplace? Yes. Well, look, I, I find uh, probably in that forum it was a bit of an exception because other people were listening in, but in in a one-on-one -on -one situation, I find that the salespeople have very little problem acknowledging that they could be better supported by marketing. Right. Um, interestingly, though, the marketing people don't do the same in reverse. What they do is they say, "Oh, yes, I've heard that there's um, organisations exist where there's a problem between sales and marketing, but but not here." Right. Uh, or, or as, as we one, embrace our sales brethren. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, or, or as as one. Um, uh, quite senior marketer in a, in a financial services organisation in, in, in Australia told me, uh, oh yes, we had that problem before I came a year and a half ago, but mm. no more. Right. right? Um, and so I said, oh, how, do you, how did you overcome the problem? And he said, ah, oh, well, sales, um, uh, sales, uh, the sales team of about 100 people nationally meets four times a year physically. They come together four times a year. Marketing attends every second time. And and I said, oh, and, and when you so you do come together twice a year, and and how do you conduct the collaboration then when you come together? And they said, oh, we give them a presentation. <laughs> so they don't actually collaborate; they tell them as so, it is. So from his perspective, the relationship was fine because we give them a presentation twice a year. Right. And he called that collaboration. Yeah, because right? it's interesting. Marketers uh, can actually get a lot from salespeople as, from the point of view of where is the customer, because it's the salespeople that are actually there in that relationship, aren't they? That's that's right. So if, if marketing does its role well, plays its role well, then they should have you know segmented the market, know what the target is, and how to position the organisation so that uh, they can be attractive to that desired target uh, audience, right? And <clears throat> and that can really make the the life of a salesperson easier if they know exactly what a customer looks like. Yeah. Right? Now a, a lot of salespeople and sales managers ha and, and and sadly some CEOs as well have have taken that to mean ah. Marketing should supply the leads. Yes. <laughs> right? And, and, and then, of, of course, there's the, uh, the, the eternal disconnect in terms of what actually is a lead. Yeah. Right? And a hot lead and a warm lead and a cold lead well, and a qualified lead and a non-qualified lead. Well, that's, that's right. So, so I've seen organisations where marketing have um, passed on an event attendee list to sales and said, here's your leads. Right? Oh, really? And, yeah, really. Yeah. And, and, and this is a multinational, well-known organization. I won't mention the name. No, but, that's fine. But, but, uh, but the sales um, man that I spoke to, he said, they may as well give me the phone book. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, on the other hand, in another multinational, um, I've seen uh, it, it go to the point where marketing, um, where sales has demanded that, no, 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 we only want leads where the customers are ready to buy now. Right. In other words, I don't, Qualified leads. I don't actually want to sell, I just want to take the order. Right? <laughs> right? So the rest is up to marketing. They should qualify the lead to the point of order taking. Right? But in reality, there's, there's got to be somewhere in between the two where they agree that 
you know, a lead is actually ripe for handing over. And this is where you get the, the concept of the, the marketing qualified lead and the sales accepted lead and all, all those yes. sort of new things that have come in. Um, but, but to me, it's always a bit of a shame when marketing is reduced to talking about leads. Yeah, because their role is to actually build an environment where people want to do business with you, That's right. and then this hand it to the sales or hand that environment to the salespeople. Yeah, it's much broader than just leads. Yeah, yeah. ideally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's interesting because they're working to the same objective, but they never seem to be measured against the same objective, are they? That's right, and that's because they're they're working in different ways towards the same objective. Yeah, yeah different be, tools. Well, it would be terrible if marketing was, was some uh, task with selling, you know, or, or vice versa. <laughs> right? uh, um, but well, it would definitely, as a, as a uh, prospect, it would be a very different uh, sales experience if a marketer was trying to sell you something. Well, um, okay, let's digress for a little bit then. I, I've heard um, anecdotally that um, whenever salespeople have taken marketers along uh, on, a, on a ride-along, mm. Uh, the marketers have actually been able to add tremendous value to the conversation because they could come from a much broader perspective and give a bit of background and saying, oh, we're seeing these trends in the marketplace and this is why we've got this product yeah. out and, you know, Framing. stuff like that. And, and, this, and the sales guy goes, wow, I never thought of saying that. You know, that's fantastic. So, so it can actually work out really well. In fact, uh, a, a friend and a, a client of mine, I think I may have shared this with you, um, Brad Cook at Novartis, he's the CMO and uh, or the um, head of marketing, and he shares an office with head of sales, and they go to not, uh, not consumer meetings together, but customer meetings, in their case, the retailer, um, and they have a huge amount of value because the marketing and sales are then aligned to what is the objective or what's the needs of the retailer. Mm. I mean, that seems to be some good examples of where things are working together. Yeah, so two things on that. Yeah. One, one is um, there is a man uh, who postulated a... Um, a theory in the 1970s, and his name is Thomas Allen, mm-hmm. and it's the famous Allen curve. And, and what he postulated is that um, collaboration diminishes with distance. Okay. Right? And, and you'd say, yeah, duh. That, That's true. That, yeah. <laughs> but what he found is that um, the, the way that the collaboration diminishes with distance is not linear, so it doesn't go down in a nice, even way. No, it's, it's exponential, is it? Anti-logarithmic, that's right. Oh, right. It yeah, goes yeah. That, that way, right? <laughs> and, um, and the curve is very steep in the beginning, and then there's a long tail, yeah. um, where collaboration just uh, peters out. And, and, and uh, interestingly, he found that the critical distance, um, where, um, where 70% of collaboration had uh, diminished, was um, 10 yards. Really? Right. 30 feet? Yeah. Or you know, about 10 metres, yeah. And, and, um, and so what he found was that you know, if you're sitting next to each other or share the same office, you can just lean over and say, hey, Joe, what do you think of this? And Joe can say, oh, this sucks, or you can say it's great, great, or you know, yeah. it needs more work or whatever. Whereas if I have to get up and walk to the other end of the, the corridor, I might think twice about it. You mm. know, if I have to take the lift down to another floor, I'll think three times about it, you know, and, and, and so collaboration diminishes with distance. So by having teams um, co-locate, mm. Is, is actually a great uh, collaboration tool. Right? Well, I remember at uh, News, News Corp in Sydney here, they have the sales team and the marketing team and even the sales support teams all on the same floor as a way of encouraging that well, and, collaboration and, and interaction. And that's smart. You know, I, I worked for a multinational organisation in Sydney and we had marketing on one floor and uh, sales on the other and then, of course, sales in the other states as well. Yeah. 
and and the further away they were, the less we we communicated with them, you know, mm. and, and it really created a, a big um, us and them type atmosphere. Because there's also a change happening in marketing, which I know you're aware of, which is that the marketers are becoming, in, in the process of being more accountable to the financial performance, are uh, moving to this customer management, you know, the customer experience mm. and the customer, you know, managing the customer journey. In many ways, this is putting them more and more into needing to interact and, and collaborate with sales, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so there's the whole thing of customer focus, and then coming out of that is the whole new trend now about customer experience. Mm. And, and we realize that the customer experience doesn't just start with them looking at our website and doesn't end with them making a transaction. We, we know that um, there's an after-sales experience, yep. uh, and particularly in terms of support. And, and we know that um, in the era of the buyer's journey where people go online and inform themselves over their choices and options, before they even speak to a sales rep, it depends on whose statistics you believe, but between 50 and 90% of the decision making is already completed before they talk to a warm-blooded salesperson. Mm. Right? And, um, and so the, the challenge for the sales rep then is to actually tell them something because the, uh, because the, the buyer is just coming to, to complete the transaction and yeah. just to, to place the order, basically, um, you know, and, and they might have... Yeah, how do they add value as a salesperson that, right. if they have nothing new or yeah. interesting to add? Well, this is it. I, I spoke to a um, representative from, from a very large multinational um, car manufacturer. Yeah. And they say they have the problem that, that people have um, informed themselves online and they come into the showroom just basically to test drive the car and, and to, to haggle for the best price. So they say, you know, I want this brand, I want this model, I want this color, I want this yeah. these accessories. What's your best price made? Right? Yeah. And, and, and so, so they've reduced them purely to uh, a price yeah. Yeah, and a pricing. Yeah. And, and uh, there's one lady that I interviewed for my book and, I, and she went through exactly that process with a different brand. And... I asked her, I said, if you had been able to buy the car online, would you have done it? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I just went into the showroom to, to test drive the car. Yeah. Right? So um, in what we now call commodity sales, the, the sales rep almost becomes superfluous. Well, I, um, I over the weekend, in fact, I needed to get um, some new batteries for my uh, Sony camera. And I went to six stores and they either didn't have them or they were like infinitely more expensive than what I knew I could get them online. And having spent, you know, like two or three hours going from store to store, I ended up going home and just buying them online <laughs> and I just got a notification. So I ordered them Sunday mm. and they're going to be delivered tomorrow morning. Yeah, so right. it's just phenomenal. But that's, that's one of the things that, you know, you hear a lot of... Uh, uh, the speculation that technology will actually uh, take over more and more of the sales function, mm. you know, as, as e-commerce and, and purchasing online becomes, uh, you know, the way of doing business. Well, certainly in, in retail and, and certainly in commodity sales, mm. the, the sales reps become superfluous. You know, people can go online and inform themselves over their choices, find out what, the, uh, what they want and then buy it. You know, no sales rep involved, and, and there's a lot of um, disruptive models emerging from that. Uh, you know, and the one I like the best is, is a recent thing, whereby there's this clothing store, and I forget the name. And I probably shouldn't mention it anyway, if I, if I remember it, where they actually have only one of everything. Right. Okay. 
and it's particularly aimed at men who don't like clothes shopping, right? Mm -hmm. So you can go into the store, you can try on everything in your size, and you can order it, but they, you can't take it away with you. Right. They have no inventory, right? They only yep. have the stock that to try on, yep. and then you order it online, and then it gets delivered to your home. Fantastic idea. So, so they don't have the problem with stock holding and logistics yeah. and all that sort of stuff. It's it's just all done from one central warehouse and and uh, they can do um, a fantastic service and they can deliver it much more cheaply than... The I just hope they don't do underpants. <laughs> <laughs> swimwear. <laughs> or swimwear, yeah, of course, yeah. But, you know, that, um, that's one of the issues is that there's now multiple ways. You know, marketing, as you've said earlier on, marketing sets up the the environment, the perception, the attitude towards a brand or a business. Mm. Um, there's multiple ways that people will interact and, and that relationship will get built. Because mm. I think that's one of the great undervalued things about a sales team is they are actually also relationship managers, aren't they? Well, this is it. We're, we're, we actually have the need for a relationship mm. um, or a relationship is desirable for whatever reason. You need to actually have a human being involved. Right? And that's where they can add value. And so you have more a tendency for account managers you know, who manage an yeah. existing account and make sure that the, the customer is happy from that perspective. Um, or you have um, subject matter experts. Because you think about it, if you want to buy something that's um, a bit more complicated than, say, a car, say if you want to buy a million-dollar um, IT... Or technology, yeah, technology right? is a key area. Um, where you're not just buying a you know a five five dollar pencil, mm. um, you're actually buying spending a, a, a large amount of money. You're buying a complex product. You're buying a relationship because the contract that you buy will usually last for three to five years, and then there's renewals and all that sort of thing. So you're, you're actually buying a relationship, and, and you need to know: Will I be able to get on with these people over three or five years? Mm. Because I'll, I'll be contractually obligated to do so, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and so what happens is that the, the number of decision makers becomes larger. So it's mm -hmm. not just one person walking into a store buying a pencil, it's a, a group of people. Usually there's a procurement person and then there's a finance person and there's an engineering person and, you know, and so on. And so yeah, on. it's a group decision. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or a group influence, yeah. Yeah, there's gate and multiple gatekeepers and all yeah. that, sort, that sort of thing. But the, um, uh, that's, that's where the selling becomes a lot more complicated because you're not it's not just a simple transaction any longer, right? And it could go on for, for certainly months and if not years sometimes, you know, over a, a large tender scenario. And, and, and the terrible thing is people, organizations spend millions of dollars on these things and then there's only one winner, right? Mm. Um, which is why, um, uh, why some organizations in America have now, um, I don't want to say colluded, but, but they're partnering with their competitors yes. because they're saying if, if we win and you lose then it's a horrible loss for you and, and, we, and we probably won't get much of a win out of it because by the time that we win they've squeezed us down to yep. absolute zero. Um, so if, if we partner as competitors and we just um, split the uh, split the risk and the spoils, split the reward, right, yeah. then everybody wins yep. and, and that, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Collaborative business. Collaborative bidding, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Um, look, your uh, consultancy business is about working with organisations to get the alignment, I guess, of marketing and sales mm. and to reap the benefits of that. Yes. Um, before we talk about the positives, I wouldn't mind, uh, you, you mentioned before that often um, marketing and sales will be working to the same objective but with different tools. But what are the... what 
are, you think, the causes of the misalignment between the two? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's look at the negative because yeah. that's always uh, more interesting always, before yeah. we start talking about yeah, the, so the solutions. You, you never hear about the plane that landed on time, right? No, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. And don't, don't name anyone because no, this no, is no. not a name and shame exercise. Okay, so there's two things. We talked about the broader perspective of marketing and the more narrow perspective in terms of closing the sale to the point of transaction for sales. Yeah. Um, but there's a historical reason as well. Oh, okay. So if if you, I was nearly going to write a blog called "It's All Is It All Philip Kotlas and Neil Rackham's Fault," right? Right. <laughs> and and please explain. Uh, yes, I would love to. And what what happened was that um, Philip Kotler um, talked about marketing as a, as a as a discipline. Yeah. And Neil Rackham talked about selling as a discipline. And the prevalent management theory at the time was well. If we have dedicated disciplines, then we must create centers of excellence. Right. And so we've created a sales department and we've created a marketing department. And never the twain shall meet. That's right. And uh, and so then we have appointed a head of sales and a head of marketing. And they might talk to each other because they have to because they uh, present a united front to the CEO. Um, but the people underneath may not have that sort of relationship at all. Mm. You know? And And so... We then have a scenario whereby marketing resides at head office yep. and sales is distributed all around the, the country or the region or the world or you know, whatever. And we have a, a decentralized sales force and a, and a centralized marketing team and uh, you develop this us and them type of attitude. Mm. And, and I've heard plenty of um, things said about from one to the other. <laughs> They're both very good at actually blaming the other, aren't they? Yes, well, I've, I've heard um, things... Um, and I've cited this in my book as well, that um, um, sales says about marketing, you know, what, what do they even do? We bring in the dollars, they spend it, they should be working for us, you know? Yeah. Um, and conversely, I've actually heard this said to my face, so it's first-hand experience, that um, a marketer said, what's the difference between a salesperson and a marketing person? Yeah. And education. <laughs> Yeah, they can be pretty cruel, can't so, they? So, so there's there's not not a lot of respect there in in, in some quarters, you know, yeah. for, for the one or the other. Now, Peter, you mentioned your book. It's the uh, the one team method by uh, Peter Strokorp, and it says at the top how sales and marketing collaboration can boost big business. Now, that's available on Amazon, isn't it? Absolutely, in in hard copy and in soft copy form. Oh, hmm. Even hard copy. That's so, as the gift to the sales director, or the soft copy to keep for yourself as the marketing director. Huh? <laughs> as long as it doesn't end up in the top drawer and never gets. You know, now, without giving the book away, yes. um, with all of the insights, because it, it's uh, it, it's a sizable book. But um, you know, what are some of the things that uh, CEOs, for instance, or even CMOs or or heads of marketing, mm. what should they be doing as a way of starting to get people to work together? Apart from calling yourself, of course, for some consulting or oh, help. That, that would be the preferred method, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so what should CEOs do? Well, I, I advocate that there's three steps. And, and if you bring it back to the old management saying that you can't manage what you can't measure, mm-hmm. then I advocate that you actually do a bit of a, um, um, an analysis, an assessment first. And, and in, in my book, I describe how there's a, a spectrum of maturity okay. for collaboration. So collaboration maturity spectrum, and you, you, you can be at the lower end of maturity and where you have 
basically what I describe as barbed wire fences between the departments where um, um, sales leads and brochures and collateral are created by marketing, then thrown over the fence to sales, wiping their hands and then saying it's up to you to sell now. Yeah. Right? Meanwhile, sales goes, well, that's not really what we need to sell. We better create our own marketing because marketing's useless. Yeah. Right? And so, so you get then a, a, this really weird situation whereby marketing creates stuff that nobody uses. And you get a situation in, in the sales environment where they're playing marketing instead of selling, being distracted from, from their, their core activity. Mm. And, and it's actually a, a huge amount of waste um, of effort and, uh, and, and time and money on both sides. So if only they talk to each other and if, if sales could help marketing to understand what works for sales then marketing can make, make a much better informed decision on terms of what, what they need to provide to help sales sell. Mm. Um, but if they don't talk to each other, then, then they're both left in the dark and they would never know. So I advocate that we understand at what level of maturity the relationship is at, yep. and then put the appropriate measures in place to make that not only improve, but also to make it um, extend beyond head office and to make it sustainable. Mm. Because yes, you can go in and say, oh, you guys just sort it out, will you? you know, and that might last for 10 minutes. It's not, it's not going to, um, to last for 10 years. Right? Yeah. And, um, and uh, Neil Rackham was, himself was actually quite kind and, and he wrote about my book that um, it seems to be a proper method to actually um, make, it, make the relationship last. Right? Yeah, building Neil, a long-term, sustainable, functional relationship uh, yeah with a methodology behind it as, yeah. as opposed to just you know patting the two on the back and say get along <laughs> you know um, and and that was really nice uh, a really nice differentiator because there's there's many um, articles being written about sales and marketing collaboration saying you know why they should get together mm. but but very few and, and I've not actually found any say how that should occur you know and, and how you make it last mm. Because one of the things that, uh, you know, in a world where we're more and more concerned about the customer experience of a brand from a marketing perspective, and also where, you know, where the customer through social media or through social networking can you know, become almost a broadcaster in their own right of poor customer experience or brand experience, yes. uh, it must be you know, vitally critical for organisations to be able to align that marketing and, and sales um, function. Well, social media is an interesting um, aspect because um, if you think about it, it's, it's, you ignore it at your peril mm -hmm. as an organisation, yet whose role is it to monitor what's being said? Right? And um, a lot of organizations have then the, the added um, challenge of how far to allow their employees to promote their own personal brands. Yes. Right? So, uh, you know, as you say, every person can be their own broadcaster now. So as a sales rep, I can broadcast about myself. Yeah, and promote my own personal brand. That's right. As part of being a functional or effective salesperson for the business. Well, um, they're probably would tend to promote themselves as, as a subject matter expert in a particular field, yep. right? I, I specialize in this area and I'm, I'm the sales champion. Just as you and I both do in no, our fields? Never, never. And, <laughs> and, 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 Peter, I've seen your social media activity, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so that makes them then pretty mobile, 
mm-hmm. you know, to they could easily transfer those skills to another organisation, and the and the employer would uh, not be able to do anything about it. And and so a lot of um, organisations are really struggling with the notion of how far do we let our salespeople go to to promote them themselves and their personal brand because. You know, we want them to promote our brand, not their personal yeah. brand. But then, on the other hand, if if we have the guru in a particular field working for us, then that is, is um, stands us in good stead as well. So it's, it is a bit of a, a dilemma and a challenge. Um, and in in the sense of um, the social media and monitoring it, um, the, I forget what the exact statistics are, but apparently, if if there's a, a bad sentiment. It gets am- amplified um, by an order of magnitude more mm. than, a, than a positive sentiment. Yeah, you know, no, I've, I've seen that as well. It's yeah. kind of the, the old adage that uh, you know, if something bad happens, you tell a hundred people. If something good happens, bad you news carries. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> like you said, now, yeah. no, no one remembers the uh, plane that landed on time. And, and the interesting thing is that that very few CEOs are actually even thinking about that. Mm. Right? They they go, well, there's marketing. It's all outbound. Yeah, you know, and uh, and uh, nobody really thinks about oh, should we monitor the Twitter sphere? You know, and and if somebody says something bad about us, what what do we do? You know, mm. should we do something? Should we just let it go away, or what? Yeah, what's well, all the evidence and all the case studies show that uh, you, as you say, you ignore it at your own peril, yeah, right? The, the worst thing you can do is ignore it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but you know, as part of the customer experience, you know, and and marketers are now moving into that customer experience management, mm-hmm. and salespeople exist in the customer experience because the sales process is customer experience. Mm-hmm. Call centres are part of the customer experience, yep. retail outlets full of salespeople are part of the customer experience. And, and let's not forget the online experience either. And the online experience. So these are all areas that within the same objective of driving um, customer value and converting that into mm. business revenue or yep. business profit. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned the um, the car manufacturer. Yeah. Right? And they, <clears throat> they have, of course, their showrooms um, where you can go and test drive the car. They have an online presence where people can go and inform themselves over their choices and what the latest model looks like and you know, what colors they have and so on. But then there's also the service center. Mm. And to the organization until not that long ago, the service center was something completely different post-sale um, to, you know, to anything that would lure in a new buyer. Mm. Yet in, in the era of, uh, of um, social media, it's critical. It's all part of the customer <laughs> experience, right? And, yeah. and and again, as we said earlier, if you have a poor experience, you're going to talk about it much more loudly than and broadly. Yes, than I spent uh, X amount of thousands and thousands of dollars on this car only to get screwed around in the, uh, the, well, that, the service this, area. Well, I think we can mention it because it's in the public domain. There was this, yeah. this famous um, um, incident with the guy who bought a Jeep. Oh yes, and he ended up wrecking his, destroying his jeep. Well, not only that, but but also the um, he he lost a court case, and and the um, the company made him, or the, the court, the judge made him write a letter of apology to Jeep, right? And and his letter of apology was like, oh, I'm sorry that I bought a jeep. I'm sorry that this went wrong. I'm sorry that I had this bad experience. I'm sorry that all this happened. And and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, managed the, to turn around. The last line was, I'm, I'm sorry, I bought a jeep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then apparently he, he eBayed um, people to come in and he, that people could bid to come in and destroy certain parts of the car. Yes, yeah. And, and he made more than the car was worth out of that. <laughs> <laughs> so social media at work. Well, Peter, that's been fascinating. And um, look, I'll just say uh, the, the book is The One Team Method by uh, Peter Strokorp. And thank you very much. 
um, for coming and talking to me. Yeah, thank you, Darren. It's been a pleasure. And uh, by the way, I've got a book uh, if you want to buy a copy. Okay, I will.